Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Mind Your Body and Soul. We in season three. We've made it all the way to season three. This is episode two of season three. We've come a long way from. No, actually, this is what's Matias. This is over a year. We've been podcasting a bit over a year. Mind Your Body and Soul. So one year we got three seasons. Ain't that some stuff? Because look, because I I remember our War AIDS Day podcast that we did last year. So we're coming up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we've been doing this about a year. So proud of us, happy, happy for us, and thank you for to the whole neighborhood medical center team who has supported us on our way to making this happen. Because um, we want to make sure we have another vehicle to be able to reach our community and mind your body and soul. Is this? And with that being said, mind your body and soul is an educational podcast that focuses on all things health related to help our listeners learn more about various health topics and information they may not have access to. We seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to become the healthiest versions of themselves. And remember, you can catch Mind Your Body and Soul every Wednesday on our website at www.nmcpodcast.com, as well as our parent website at www.neighborhoodmedicalcenter.org, as well as on YouTube, our home YouTube. So uh, subscribe to the Neighborhood Medical Center YouTube channel. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You can also catch us on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other podcast platforms. So we just want to make sure we make our podcast available for as many people as possible because, like our guest today, giving vital information that can help our community become the healthiest versions of themselves. That's what we're here to do, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're here to do at Neighborhood Medical Center. So before we introduce our guest, uh, what's, how you doing, Matias? I know we just came off a long weekend, homecoming weekend, fam. You, you know how you know how we get down. Yeah, you see you got that one eye open. <laughs> right, right. You ain't right. get that much sleep, but you know, you know, you yeah. need to fit it all in safely. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's been it's been kind of real out there. In the <laughs> yeah, I do want to do want to thank fam you for allowing us to come up on the campus and provide HIV testing. Wednesday and Friday, so we was able to. I think we did about 50 total tests between mm-hmm. the two days, so we Which did a lot. Because you know, so, most of us don't want to get nothing found out on homecoming. Yeah, so, yeah you know, know, we got know, education and do what we do. Every if you stick to your every three month schedule, you can avoid some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so now, when we're out in the community, mm-hmm. people in Tallahassee, if you are in the community, Tallahassee. You know who the community people are. You know who the the people who are giving their all to the community, who are working in the community on a regular basis. And this foundation and these two people are no exception. Whenever we are in the community, we see you. You are there with us, and we appreciate it. So all the events, all the neighborhoods, they're not running from anybody. As a matter of fact, a lot of people mistake us for you guys. Mm-hmm. And so, so we need to get some brochures from y'all to give them out or something. But yeah. we're talking about the Sickle Cell Foundation of the Big Bend, and we have Mr. Christopher Wells and Ms. Carissa Hunter here representing the Sickle Cell Foundation. And so, welcome to the, welcome to Mind Your Body. So, welcome to our podcast. We greatly um, appreciate all that you do. You are definitely a vital, vital members of our community. Um, a vital organization with our community because talking about something sickle cell that definitely affects our black community, which is a bulk of our population and the bulk of the patients that we serve on a regular basis. So I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and joining us on Mind Your Body and Soul. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, No problem, no problem. So Matias always has the first question. I get so, it easy. So easy. go ahead and let's kick this conversation off. Let's okay. have it. So <clears throat> since we already know you guys, but we want the community to know who you are. Can you give us a little background information about yourself and why you both chose to work in helping uh, people living with sickle cell disease? Okay. Um, I go first. Um, my name is Carissa Hunter, and I'm the Community Outreach Director at the Foundation. A little background is I'm also a holistic health practitioner of complementary alternative medicine and that's specializing in clinical herbalism as well as birth and bereavement support. Um, Growing up living with sickle cell trait, I struggled with many of the myths we still hear today, you know, realizing 
a lot of those things that I grew up hearing was not so true. And also later on realizing the lack of holistic health modalities in the community as well. Um, my daughter, she was born in 2017 and diagnosed with sickle cell. In that same year, prior to her birth, I was working full-time as a medical assistant and a phlebotomist in several clinics. And once she was born, I returned back to school and focused on alternative medicine. So they gave me a new space to dive into what I knew my daughter would need. You know, she would need me there present full-time. And um, I just chose to help those living with sickle cell disease because it hit home. You know, living with sickle cell trait, I felt questions were unanswered. I just felt confused or um, that the health issues that even sickle cell trait carriers, you know, we had to unlearn and relearn a lot of those things. And even I struggled with a lot of the physical trauma um, that I believed was related to my sickle cell trait such as the pain crisis, you know, we'll get into that a little later. Um, it wasn't until really when my daughter was born and she was tested during the newborn screening that soon after I just pushed the button further. I right. said, I gotta unlearn, I gotta relearn much, you know, for, for myself, for her and for the community, you know, because someone has it worse, you know, or in the same position. And so I began with first advocating for myself and advocating for my daughter. And that's where I started. And I understood that self-advocacy was just like a true act of communicating our needs mm -hmm. within the scope of those issues that we face in sickle cell community. And in order to meet those needs, I had to understand the disease, I had to understand our body, and ultimately teaching her at four years old, right. you know, how to advocate for herself. Um, so that first step, stepping away from mainstream healthcare and getting back to studying myself, sickle cell disease, and also the alternative treatments for, you know, those living with sickle cell, because that's missing. And, and it's, it's not well talked about, you know, it's not too many talking about it. And I wanted to put myself in a position that I was uncomfortable because I knew in order to see a change, I had to be uncomfortable a little uh -huh. bit. And I understood that advocating for self would base on relationships that um, was with individuals that were already in the community that influenced the needs for us. So right. networking, meeting new people. Um, oh, that's how I met Chris, you know, because the foundation helped my family when I first moved back to Tallahassee, because this is home. <laughs> okay. um, and then I, I also noticed, you know, again, the lack of safe, natural alternatives for the uh, sickle cell maintenance and treatment. So, you know, advocating for self, you know, encouraging others to find that power within themselves to speak up. You know, a lot of times, we miss the mark on the best advocates are those that yeah. are the individuals living it. <laughs> there you go. There you the go. parents and the caregivers, you know, and that that we we need to be out here studying ourselves, being able to understand the disease, knowing our body, being able to articulate our symptoms. Um, that way we can see better diagnosis because even I still believe I was misdiagnosed with certain things. You know, it's so many of us facing issues because a lot of people don't know how to speak up for themselves. Exactly. exactly. You know, so yeah. that that's a little backstory of, of where I am with, gotcha. with the Health Foundation. So. Gotcha. Mr. Chris? Yeah, so for me, um, Coming, my path to the Sickle Cell Foundation was a part of my educational journey. So um, I did an undergraduate degree um, at FAMU in, in the social work department, um, and then moved on to uh, Florida State for my master's degree. Um, and so part of the social work program is, is doing an internship. Um, and so I did an internship at the Sickle Cell Foundation for my master's degree through Florida State. Um, like many people, I didn't know much at all about sickle cell disease. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew that in fifth grade, there was a young lady who had it. Um, she would come to school some days and, she, and other days she would not. Um, so that was as much as I knew until um, I did my, my master's degree internship 
And um, you know, one of my first assignments was to go to um, the hospital and um, meet with a client who had just got admitted. And so, you know, I walked into the room and um, had this gentleman just tell me his entire life, you know, from birth up to that day. And, um, and he just he just told me what his life was. And so one of the, the biggest things that stuck out um, to me on that day was um, we, we were having a conversation about his first hip replacement. He had had three hip replacements in his life. And so he was telling me about his first his hip replacement. And so um, when he was telling me about it, we were, we were about the same age when he was telling me about it. I realized that when he had his first hip replacement was about the same time I hit my first home run um, of my life. And so, you know, we were the same age, you know, near the same age, um, same type of, you know, lifestyle growing up a little bit, but our, you know, our journeys couldn't have been any more different. And so when I was doing the sports and doing, you know, being physical, he wanted to be, that was his dream. Right. Um, and, but he couldn't live that dream because of sickle cell disease. And so, uh, like I said, my first home run was about the time he had his first hip replacement. Um, and so that just stuck with me, that stayed with me. And I felt like I couldn't just graduate and, and move on and leave this population behind without trying to have some positive impact on it. Um, and so, you know, currently I'm, a, I'm an LCSW, my, my background is in mental health. Um, and so I, I try to bring that aspect to this population, to the sickle cell population. And, um, I, you know, I sit with my clients and give them time to talk, give them time to, to process um, and, and just focus, focus on um, trying to be healthy, um, yes. you know, mentally uh, first, because I feel like a lot of a lot of um, sickle cell complications, if you're in the right mind space, um, you can process, you can mentally process your um, some of these physical issues first um, and begin the healing from that, from that point. So, right. that, you know, that's my path. Um, like I said, I came here through education and, and I've been here ever since. So, right. Right. Now it's, it's interesting. Uh, your paths are different, but brought you to the same space. Right. Um, Cause, and it's, and it's similar to kind of like how Matias and I got into HIV AIDS as well. Um, because sickle cell is something that we know affects our community, but we don't know a lot about. I've, I've only had the opportunity to sit down with one young lady uh, a couple years back. She told me her story. I had no idea. I had no idea, but it, it never left my mind. So this is one reason why I want to do this interview. So people, more people can really understand what goes into it, what it actually is and coming up so as a community we can come up with better ways to help our community members rather than just feeling sorry because for me after after a while i get tired of just feeling sorry for somebody i want to do something so this is where we come get the education so so with that being said help us understand right what is sickle cell disease what causes sickle cell how does it happen in the body yeah i can um start off with that one Krista. um <laughs> So sickle cell disease is a, it's a genetic disorder. Um, so the same thing that tells you what color your eyes are gonna be, the same thing that tells you what color your hair is gonna be, that's the same thing that tells you whether or not you're gonna have sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait, or normal blood. Right. Um, it's the body's genetic response to the malaria epidemic that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. So um, you know, we, were, okay. we were living out amongst the elements um, back then um, constantly getting bit by mosquitoes. Um, mosquitoes carry that malaria parasite and the malaria parasite lives inside of your red blood cells. Right. So um, the body, people were constantly dying from malaria back, you know, way back thousands of years ago. And so the body said, you know, if I don't do something, pretty soon there aren't gonna be any humans left because everybody's just constantly dying from malaria. So the body decided over a, you know, extended period of time, thousands of years, they developed this trait um, to where some of those red blood cells were going to be in this sickle or crescent pattern and they were going to die in 15 days. And so a normal red blood cell lasts for about 115 to 120 days in the body. Um, but the sickle cells that the body genetically created, um, those cells were going to die in about 15 or 20 days. And so mm -hmm. that was going to um, kill that malaria parasite and that malaria parasite will be flushed out of the body with the, you know, the dead, the dead sickle cell. Um, and so that was a good thing. That trait in that instance was a good thing. It helped humans survive that malaria epidemic. 
Um, but the problems came into play is when you've got, you know, Jack on one side of the forest walks across and meets Jill on the other side of the forest and Jack and Jill have a child. Both of those individuals have sickle cell trait. Um, so there's a 25% chance with every pregnancy of having a child with the actual disease uh, when you have a child, when two people with sickle cell trait have a child. Okay. So that's, that's kind of how sickle cell disease came to be a, an issue today. Uh, people who have that genetic trait where um, that those sickle cells will die and they're able, so they're, those individuals are able to survive a, a malaria infection a whole lot easier than somebody with normal red blood cells. Um, and so that's, like I said, that's it. And so how it plays out today is that um, those two people with the trait, they'll have children. Um, and then those two, those two sickle cell traits, when they're, when they're, both of those are passed down to a child, then that child can only make sickle blood. Um, and so they've got a bunch of red or sickle cells that are dying every 15 to 20 days, carrying out oxygen out of the body, um, blocking up blood vessels um, and reducing blood flow and things like that. So um, that's really how it, how it, you know how it plays out. And so and one thing um, I do want to mention too is that you know um, most people think that sickle cell disease is a black condition. Um, right. They, they, that it's 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 you know it's the black community. So the truth about that is in our country the highest percentage is with the African-American or black population, but behind them are people of Hispanic descent. Um, so first in line, African-Americans behind them, Hispanic descent. So it's about one in every 12 African-Americans can have sickle cell trait. For Hispanics, it's about one in every 100 that have sickle cell trait. So you know, a little bit less. And then behind people who are you know black and Hispanic descent are people um, from Italy and Sicily. Uh, and so those people can walk through the world and present as white, you know, you you look at them, you may think, you know, hey, you know, that's a that's a, a white person, but if they're from Italy or Sicilian descent, those individuals have sickle cell trait um, and sickle cell disease in their community as well. So um, we've got um, a couple of biracial families where mom is Italian or Sicilian, father is black, and you know, they have a child. Your mom never ever heard that they had sickle cell trait before. And they have their first kid and this child has hemoglobin SS, the most severe form of sickle cell disease. And, you know, they're thinking, well, I'm white. How does how is this possible? And so that, that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I always like to, to, to bring to the forefront that this has nothing to do with, you know, this specifically the black community. Um, it can impact everybody, anybody that's um, there's um, Southeast, Southeast Asian um, people have sickle cell disease, you know, just Asian folks, um, uh, people of Arabian descent, um, Caribbean um, are also um, another population that's heavily impacted by sickle cell disease. So, gotcha. That, that brings up a good point, because my, my question is, like, what types of sickle cell disease are out there? Are there different various types, and how do they differ? Since you said that yeah. there was one that was a more common one, so can you just explain the different types and how many they are and what what's the difference between those? Yeah, so uh, sickle cell disease is the umbrella term. Um, that's just kind of what we refer to this group of hemoglobinopathies or this group of blood disorders. Um, but the most common that makes the most severe is the S trait or hemoglobin S. So that's the most common. That's what m most individuals have. Um, but there's also C traits. Um, there's also E trait, which happens a lot in people of Arabian descent. Um, thalassemia, beta thalassemia, alpha thalassemia, beta plus thousand, beta zero thousand. And so there's a bunch of different forms. So like I said, the most common, most severe is hemoglobin SS disease. Um, hemoglobin SC diseases tends to have a little bit um, milder symptoms. Uh, but the thing to remember, another thing, important thing to remember about sickle cell disease is that it manifests itself in everybody completely differently. Um, so you can have somebody who has SS, the most severe form, um, but they've gone 30 years of their entire life and you know maybe have one hospitalization if that. We've you know I, I know we've got clients that you know that have that severe form that you know may have been to the hospital once. We've got um, clients that have say that's S hemoglobin SC disease, um, but they're hospitalized you know two, three, four times a year. Right. Um, and I've also, we've also had, um, I've met a family who um, the child had hemoglobin SS disease, um, but the mother had just the S trait, um, but that mother was hospitalized more than that child was. And Sounds so the, like me. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> so it's, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know 
people do think that sickle cell trait, um, you know, you'll even hear from some medical professionals that the trait um, is the absence of disease, absence of illnesses, and which, and that's not, the, that's not um, okay. exactly accurate as well. And so the individuals with sickle cell trait can have some symptoms that look like the disease. Um, because when you've got trait, you've got, you, your body makes sickle cells. Um, it's just, it's just not as many, you know, normal red blood cells. And with those sickle cells dying every 15 days, um, those normal red blood cells tend to, you know, to, 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 to have, to be more prominent in the, in the bloodstream, but um, you can still, you know, you can still have issues that look like disease. So professional athletes um, with sickle cell trait, they tend to struggle uh, with disease, with issues that look like the disease, um, scuba divers, mountain climbers, people who are constantly flying in airplanes, they can have issues that look exactly like the disease if they just lay up the trait, so. Okay. Okay. I'm okay. glad you mentioned that, Chris, yeah. because even I could attest to that. Being an athlete in high school, trait carrier, overexerting yourself in practices, um, it, it's it's true. <laughs> Having my daughter, she's four. She has HBSS, the most severe type, and she's never had issues to this point. She's she's never ha suffered any problems so far. Okay. So that was good that you mentioned that. So what? So what's the exact? difference between the actual or or what would turn the disease on or, or help the trait develop into the disease is it is it the mixing of the genetics so so once if you have sickle cell trait you're going to have that your entire life right it'll never ever turn into the disease right okay. so kind of like you're if you're born with green eyes you're not going to wake up one morning and they're going to be black or brown um, and so it's, so you're, 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 it's genetic. So if you've had sickle cell disease, you're going to have that in your entire life, unless you do something like a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant. Um, if you've got sickle cell trait, you're going to have that your entire life. That's not going to go away. Um, and so, like I said, it's, it's just, it's just genetic. So whatever you, if you, so, so everybody has two parts to their blood, right? If you've got uh, what we call normal hemoglobin, then both of those are normal adult hemoglobin genes. Um, mm -hmm. You care, you know. So if you've got sickle cell trait, um, people with sickle cell trait have one normal adult hemoglobin gene and then one sickle gene. And so when you have a child, you're going to pass down one or the other. So if you have sickle cell trait, it's possible for you to have a child and pass down that normal blood gene. That's possible, um, but it's also possible for you to pass down that sickle gene. Okay. And so. Um, and you can't, there's nothing you can do to determine which one you're going to pass down. It's just, you know, mathematics, flip of a coin. Right. Um, and so, and so um, when you have sickle cell disease, that means both of those parts of your hemoglobin um, are that sickle hemoglobin. So the only thing that you can pass down is sickle, as a sickle gene. Gotcha. Um, so if it's SC, you might be able to pass down S, or you might be able to pass down C, but you're going to pass down some form of the trait. Um, if you have the full-blown disease, if you and like I said, if you're born with trait, you're not going to wake up one morning with the disease. It doesn't work like that. Gotcha. Um, and so, and and then another thing um, that I hear um, is, you know, people will say, "When were you diagnosed with um, sickle right. cell disease?" And so <laughs> right. I say, "Oh yeah, I, I was diagnosed at the age of four. I was diagnosed at the age of seven. Um, you had that when you were born. Um, mm -hmm. Whether the doctors did the appropriate tests. Um, nowadays, there's a newborn infant screening. So. So everybody, you know, since 1989, I believe, everybody born in this country is screened at, for sickle cell trait, sickle cell disease, and about 40 other hemoglobinopathies are just issues of the blood. So, um, but, the, the, you know, from the moment you're born, from the moment you're conceived, if you've got sickle cell disease, you've got it then. Okay. Um, and so, you know, whether you are notified or not, whether the appropriate tests or not, whether your parents, you know, follow through with the newborn infant screening process and get those letters, or not, you know, you you have it from the moment you're born. So, you know, whenever people say, "Yeah, I was diagnosed with," you know, at the age of seven with sickle cell disease, I was like, "Well, you know, in actuality, you had it, you know, as soon as you were conceived." So, I like to kind of, you know, put that information out there as well. Right. Right. Okay. So, so in addition to that, what determines what type of sickle cell disease you would have? How does that work? So the different types of sickle cell disease just really tell you what part of the world your family comes from. Um, so, you know, if you've got S trait, um, those tend to be individuals from African um, countries, um, from Caribbean, um, from Caribbean countries, 
Um, so, you know, E-Trait is, like I said, that's that's more popular individuals in the Arab countries. So if you've got like a hemoglobin E-Trait, those individuals that, that come from Arab countries. Um, alpha thalassemia is something that's find, found in Asian populations. Mm -hmm. um, so if they've got that alpha thalassemia um, gene or trait, um, that that says, just says that they, you know, that's an individual that comes from an Asian country. So, like I said, wherever you're, you know, whatever part of the world your family comes from is that kind of that ties in with what type of trait or gotcha. disease that you have. Gotcha. So, um, Carissa, mm -hmm. it, having the trait, and you and you were saying when you were an athlete, when you would overexert yourself, you would have symptoms. So, what? What type of things would happen when you overexert yourself? Um, I would experience lower extremity pains in my legs, swelling and stiffness. Mm -hmm. um, that would it it it's like a cramping, dull feeling, and it'll last for hours, not minutes. Um, and even I've heard stories with me being at as young as the age of four. My mother. She didn't know what was going on. You know, doctors at that time would just brush her off and say it was a uh, rheumatic fever or I just they didn't. It was growing pains. That's the yeah. most common thing that yeah. we would hear. It was growing pains. And um, later on, as I grew older and got to high school, I remember when I didn't hydrate myself, I literally passed out at practice. Mm -hmm. And that was from me being dehydrated. And what I would stress, emotional stress, would trigger my body to respond and it become tense. So that'll create a domino effect of like tense and then spasms and then it'll affect my legs. And even today, I still have a better understanding of it. So, you know, I limit, you know, I know how I could respond to uh, outside triggers to that. So those gotcha. are the most common things that I've experienced as a trait carrier was the lower extremity pains um, that I even still deal with from time to time. If if I'm not careful, you know, with how I deal with environmental stimuli, my mental health wellness, you know, how my emotional, you know, my mental, all of that ties in together with how my body responds to that and it's just like what Chris mentioned everyone is it's like individual base you know everyone responds t totally different you know I, I tell people all the time you can have one child with this two children with the same type of sickle cell and they both have two different experiences and I've I've seen that with my own you know I've seen mm -hmm. children the same age as my daughter with the same type and they are on medications crisis every month my daughter has never experienced that you know but it's it's the lifestyle differences it's how they're nourished in home out home how they eat how their mental and emotional is well taken care of all of that ties in together okay. yeah so so how old were you when you learned you had the trait uh my mom made sure that we were aware the moment it stuck in our brain probably as young as eight. She, okay. she didn't know much. She just said, always make sure when you go to the doctor, you tell them you have sickle cell trait. And I'm glad she did. I didn't know much, but at least I'm, I appreciate her, you know, pounding that in my head. Like you have sickle cell trait, make sure they know that, make sure they know that. And it just carried on throughout my whole life. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah, appreciate it. One thing I want to chime in here and mention, mm -hmm. um, you know, Carissa mentioned the emotional stress. And so for sickle cell disease, sickle cell disease is as, as much as an emotional, um, you know, condition as it is a physical condition. And so um, yeah. something as simple as an argument or disagreement or stress about how you're going to pay a bill these are you know things that can trigger um a hospitalization so mm -hmm. you know if you Very think true. about you know an argument or a fight that you've had you know your your heart rate goes up your adrenaline is flowing your you know your heart is starting to you know push more blood around your body um and if you've got sickle cell disease then that means your body's you know your heart is pumping more sickle cells around they're pushing those sickle cells around uh, much faster and so it's that it's you know it's it's that much easier for those sickle cells to get stick together 
um, block blood vessels um, and, you know, if it's blocking blood vessels to to and from the heart, to and from your brain, to and from your extremities, all these are issues that can, you know, that can lead to, to a hospitalization and or death. So right. um, something as simple as, a, you know, an argument or a disagreement or, you know, or, you know, stress about, you know, I, you know, I, if I get sick again, then that means I can't go to work next week. And if I can't go to work next week, then I can't pay my utility bill. And if I can't pay my utility bill, then the lights are going to be off. And something mm -hmm. as simple as here I go, and you know, I woke up feeling a little stiff or a little, um, you know, feeling like a crisis is coming. All of that can trigger this, you know, this 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 landsliding right. impact to where, you know, an argument can literally lead to death in an individual with sickle cell disease or, you know, a, a disagreement or, you know, you swiping your, your debit card at Publix and then, you know, and they get in decline. That can literally lead to a, an individual with sickle cell's death. If they're if they're stressed about something and they and it and it triggers a crisis, you know, and so that is like I said, it's, I always tell people that sickle cell disease is as much emotional as as it is physical. So, um, and, and I, I, so I wanna, what, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I wanted to. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I while I thought about it, I remember mentioning this that we were talking about mindfulness, and, and I mentioned how much stress is a risk factor for a lot of chronic yes. illnesses. Yes. And even even if you think about how stress stress actually degrades our the like the tips of our chromosomes, the telomeres, and those are the like the complete subunits are of our DNA. It will every time a cell divides, a little bit of that breaks, and when the cell divides a number of times, that's it. Stress actually speeds that up, and it speeds yep. up the breaking off of those off of those telomeres. So learning how to deal with something like stress. Living with sickle cell, sickle cell trait actually lengthens those telomeres on our chromosome. And you, I, I've said this before. People say that experience or that you know journey took so many years off my life. It literally, probably right. did. Right. Yeah, it right. literally did. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. was very good point. Yeah, now I pre I do appreciate that because we, we I know we talk about it here on our end when we talking about STD prevention and HIV. Um, Especially, uh, I remember a situation, a young girl with herpes, and one of the things that could cause outbreaks is stress. And so stress is, stress is, distress is not good for the body. You stress is different, but distress is not good for the body. So, so my next question, because you guys <laughs> having all my, having all my questions pop up in my head. So, because you've said, both of you have said, people experience a crisis. Now, I've heard, I know what a crisis is, but for those who may not know, could you explain what a crisis is and how it affects the body? I get yeah, it. so uh, a sickle cell crisis is the, the term um, for the complications that an individual has with sickle cell disease. So a sickle cell crisis can be a, a number of things. Um, a sickle cell crisis can mean the beginning of acute chest syndrome, um, which is uh, cells being um, sickle cells being um, blocked, blocking blood vessels in the in the lungs. Um, right. Sickle cell crisis can be um, pneumonia. It can be um, you know it can be um, an early sign of a stroke on the horizon, um, especially in young children. Um, young, it, which is another um, sad fact about sickle cell disease is that. Um, the children tend to have strokes, you know, um, a lot uh, more than the older individuals. So once you get to about, you know, 15, 16 years old, um, your risk for stroke kind of de declines a bit. Um, but yeah, so a, a sickle cell crisis is any is any complication that an individual with sickle cell disease has. So it can it can be the pain in the long bones, um, and so the you know, or the pain in the lower back. Um, but a sickle cell crisis is just the the term um, that encompasses all of those complications that is, yeah, that um, individuals with sickle cell disease have. And so, um, you know, a crisis looks different in everyone, um, it, it, and a, a crisis is treated different in everyone, which is an, another fact that people um, don't necessarily understand. Is that you know, if, if you get two sickle cell patients presenting to the emergency room on the same day. Um, one individual may may take some you know response to hydration therapy, um, you know so uh, you know a, a, a 
uh, IV fluids and the other person may need IV fluids plus pain medication. Mm -hmm. uh, or the other person may, may be hydrated well, but they just need that pain medication to, you know, to reduce the pain. So um, a, a sickle cell crisis is, is any, any, you know, any number of, of complications that an individual with sickle cell disease has. Um, and so, you know, any, and, and then anything can trigger a crisis, like I said. So something as simple as, um, you know, you, you bumping into somebody, um, if you, if, you know, and so this is something that, you know, we see a lot in, in our, in the children that we deal with, um, something as simple as just bumping into, um, uh, somebody in the, excuse me, um, something as simple as bumping into, um, a classmate in the hallway of school can trigger, you know, a sickle cell crisis. Um, right. and so it's something that we see a lot with children in, in, in school and, um, so sports is another thing, you know, a lot of the hematologists, the pediatric hematologists, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily eliminate kids from sports. They'll, they'll let them, you know, they'll, they'll monitor, they'll figure out what they can do and they'll let them try. They'll let them get out there and, let, and they'll let them, um, you know, attempt to, um, to play in. But, you know, once, once they figure out what their body's limits are, um, then they'll, then that's usually when they start to restrict things, but, gotcha. um, so anything that any any complication, eye issues, um, you can have eyesight issues as with individuals with sickle cell um, trait and disease. Um, so um, anything that that encompasses the complications of the sickle cell patient. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, because uh, and I'm glad you cleared that up because in my mind, and this I formed this in my mind based off the way it was explained to me by a young lady who was telling me about her experience with sickle cell. And she had severe experiences. So in my mind, I thought a, a crisis was always, uh, you know, something so, so totally severe. But you're saying there's a there could there's a range. Yeah, there's and, a yeah, absolutely. There's a continuum. We've got you know we've got some some clients. Um, they're so in tune with their body. Um, they're able to they they do a great job of managing a crisis at home. Right. Uh, we've got some some client, and, and that's you know that comes with communication with their their primary care physician communication with their hematologist and then just really paying attention and listening to their body We've, i've got a client that if if she wakes up um at nine o'clock in the morning she can take a she can take an inventory of her body she'll sit there and mentally take an inventory of her body she will know um that she, she knows that if I wake up feeling this specific way that if by 1 p.m or 1 o'clock if i don't have fluids uh, or pain medication, you know, then she's going into a full blown crisis and she's down for two weeks. Right. Or she knows she can wake up and she's feeling a sort of way. And so she, so she knows that, hey, I, I need to, I need to eat. I need to drink lots of water and I need to take a nap and I need to rest. And she can, and she can, you know, she can treat herself like that. And there's, and so she knows the difference, you know, by, by the time she wakes up within an hour of waking up, she knows the difference of this is something I can manage at the house. This is something I make it manage at home. Um, or this is something that's going to that's going to be a little bit more severe, and right. I've got to get I, I need to get some help, and I need to get it you know soon. Or this is going to be something that's going to you know take. And so you know, there's a lot of anxiety in that and in, in, in dealing with that, uh, which exactly. is another another issue that I that I notice a lot with sickle cell patients is that anxiety that I know I'm you know I know I'm here it is I'm it's nine o'clock in the morning. I know that if I don't get hydrated, if I don't get you know an IV um, hydration. Then I'm going into a full-blown crisis, and so that now they're thinking, well, I wonder who's at the emergency room. I wonder how busy they are. I wonder if they're going to believe me. I wonder if they're going to trust me. I wonder if, if they're going to want to, you know. And, and so that, and so that, you know, that that anxiety. Some of that, you know, and a lot of times that that'll keep a patient home. It will before they can go get help. Right. You know, uh, unfortunately, and this is, I mean, this is a this is terrible. But we we just had this issue happen. Um, on Friday, where a client woke up and he, it, you know, for three days he wasn't feeling well, but he did not want to go to the emergency room because the last time he was there, he got thrown out. You, you know, and so, and, and unfortunately, this particular individual lost his battle with sickle cell disease over the weekend because he didn't get to an emergency room in time. And so, this is this is a it's a it's a it's an honest fact um, that these these uh, you know, a lot of these clients because of this thought process of drug seeking. Um, because they know their bodies that if I don't get this, um, then I'm going into a you know a full blown crisis and I'm going to be down for two weeks where I might lose my life. And so sometimes they come into the, 
you know, to the to the hospital, you know, as a professional patient, you know, if you think think about somebody who has been, they've lived with sickle cell disease, they're 27 years old for 27 years, they've right. been dealing with sickle cell disease morning, noon, and night every single day of their life. So they know what it feels like. They know that, you know, they know that I overdid it yesterday. I had a bunch of assignments. I had that stressful ex final exam. And they know that they, you know, that they stayed up too late studying. They they had a bunch of stress. They were worried about it. And so they know that, you know, you know, this next week probably isn't going to be good for me. And so they they do their best to try to hydrate. Um, and they try to, you know, try to get well. But but you know, it, if they can't keep up with it, then they go to that emergency room. They they know um that something they, they know that hey, this is this is what's going on in my personal life. Yeah. And I just need hydration, I just need some pain medication. And then, you know, it, if you walk into an emergency room, you're telling a, you know, a, a, an emergency physician that's been working for 30 years in an emergency room that, hey, I need this and I need that. That sets off red flags in their head. Those those alarm bells go off. Um, they say, oh, this person is coming, you know, looking at this or they, they, they're just trying to, you know, they're, they're coming in to get this drug or something like that. And so that's that's another battle. Um, you know, there, there are regulations that bound these these. Uh, medical professionals that they you know that they they've got the DEA watching them and they can't mm -hmm. prescribe this right so there's you know it's it's tough on both ends they've got to be careful because unfortunately people do take advantage of the system but like I said if you got somebody who's 34 years old they've been dealing with sickle cell disease for 34 years old for 34 years they've been listening to their body for 34 years so they you know a lot of these patients know themselves inside and out and they know that uh, here it is nine o'clock if i don't get hydrated by noon i'm you know this is a right so okay and i, I want to add something if that's okay because yes. i love what chris said you know basically it's awareness of self mm -hmm. and a lot of times you have us that are aware of ourselves but there's also th like this um power imbalance within the healthcare system Oh, yeah. which I had already saw in general working in some clinical spaces. And that's what broke me for me. <laughs> I, I couldn't be a part of that brokenness where patients were unseen and unheard. And, and, the, and where the power lies is with the physicians and the healthcare providers, right? Even so in the realm of those patient-centered care where the individual is the key member of the care team most times just blindly their families don't have an equal voice or themselves have an equal voice in the decision making process and so that that minimizes individual patient engagement you know in that whole process so um it's difficult it, it can be difficult because like chris said you know when you do know yourself and you know your body and you're firm with that a lot of times they'll end up get referred to as difficult or non-compliant especially with respect to pain management you know it's it's you know to have an activated individual who knows themselves and 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 just engage with their their treatment or their health and wellness invested in their chronic care um process it gets overlooked you know mm -hmm. it's it's almost as if there's a this scene this whole look at like you can't know the, your patients can't know themselves it's like an intimidation tactic sometimes where right. you know even as a parent I faced it you know I, where I stood my ground and I said no I know my daughter and we're gonna work as a team you know instead of yes. you telling me what we're let's talk about what we can learn together and right. and what I feel comfortable with instead of threatening me with death because that's one of the things that, you know, you hear often, well, at this age, you're going to die and, you know, you're going to face these issues. Even that alone, those words will implant in someone's mind yep. and create a spiral of different thoughts. So that can communicate with a, a person's neurological, you know, you know, system and everything else in the body, how it responds. Right. So right. it's 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 so important to for us to really talk about that and really, really like hammer it down is. on that because it's it's difficult out here. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But we we talk about something here. We've we've created a whole presentation. We've created a podcast around it by um, making sure people make the best of their healthcare visits. But mm -hmm. like you said, 
we do create the client-centered um, scenarios with our patients. But you all, like I know, there's a certain way to advocate for yourself, certain language, certain things that you need to say when you get in these certain spaces to get you past the red tape. So with that being said, for both of you, what tips or what advice would you give someone when they're going into the medical setting and they need to advocate for themselves in the realm of sickle cell, but they may not know what to say? What kind of tips or what things would you tell people to make sure they're articulating or make sure they're having the doctors look at to make sure that the issue is taken care of and they're not just sent home with nothing happening? Yeah, so um, one of the uh, more powerful tools that I believe in um, is a go bag. Um, and so what I, uh, and what that is, um, it's a bag that's, that they can, it's a, a bag um, that a patient or a client can keep by their door or in their vehicle. But in this bag is um, everything they'll need for um, a, hot, a potential hospitalization. Um, so you've got your toiletries and things like that, maybe a change of clothes. Um, but what's also in that bag is communication from your primary care physician and your hematologist. Okay. So um, your, your hematologist's name, um, their phone number, um, maybe some orders, medical orders that they, that they, you know, things that they use to treat, treat a person or treat that particular individual with sickle cell disease. Um, and so those are, those are powerful tools. And so, like I, like I mentioned earlier, um, with, with, a, with the presentation of a sickle cell crisis to a client, that brings anxiety um, and, and stress. And so, um, you know, for a lot of patients and a lot of clients, when they wake up in the morning and they feel that crisis, mm -hmm. um, their, their, sense of, uh, their sense of reality leaves and they go to that, to that accelerated um, anxious mo you know, point. And so they're, they're, they're thinking about what if this is the last time? What if this is it for me? Right. And so it's hard to focus and it's hard to communicate with people when you're in that, when you're in that mind space, when you're thinking that, you know, if you don't do something, if you don't help me, then I'm going to die. You know, that, that clouds their thought process, that clouds their communication um, and all of that. So right. if they have the, if they have their, their hematologist information, if they have a, a letter from their hematologist that states that this client typically gets this many milligrams of this medication, um, during this time period, um, then that that helps bridge the gap for these emer emergency, you know, these emergency room physicians that are doing their best um, to triage these 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 very sick individuals in an emergency room. And so that 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 letter or that communication, um, written communication on a letterhead from their hematologist, um, can do a lot to to smooth that process over when that when that patient is filled with so much fear and anxiety. Maybe they've got a loved one with them that's filled with that same thing, and you know, or you know, I, I personally I don't have any children. My my wife and I don't have any children, but I could not imagine what it would be for a parent to have a child in that much, you know, pain and that much mm -hmm. danger. Um, it, it's got to be really difficult to communicate. It's got to be difficult. I, I, you know, for me, even just seeing my young patients, my young clients. Um, and and, and it, that gets me that, you know, to, to see a young child in a sickle cell crisis, it is very, very difficult. Yeah. And so I can't, I could not imagine what it, what it would be to be a parent to have that. And so, like I said, that communication, those pleasantries, all that stuff kind of go out of the window when you're thinking about your child not making it or you not making it. So having these letters prepared from your hematologist ahead of time that are in that go bag. So when you're feeling it, you grab that bag, you hop in the car, you're hopping in the ambulance and you get there. And then you give that information to the to the to the emergency room physician. They can start making those calls and those connections, figuring out how to treat this patient. Um, that's 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 one. Like I said, for me, um, in my opinion, that's one of the most valuable tool, tools that I can give a client is help them to prepare and set up their go bag with, the, with that information, that communication from their hematologist. Um, so. Gotcha. OK, now that. Thank you for that. Thank yeah, you. That's that. really good. Yes. And because I, I, I do not like to see clients, patients, or anybody in the position where they need help and they're in the space to get help, but there's a communication barrier. And right. those who, and the, the people, you know, this person needs help, and you know that it's your job to, to go above and beyond to understand them, to be able to help them. But 
they don't because there's there's a barrier that people like to allow to stop them. So if I have something that can push that down, like, hey, this is my information from my primary care physician. This is my information from my hematologist. This is this is what I have a history of. So now it gives me more legs to stand on rather than them just trying to figure out. Because like you said, you he was, he was saying, Carissa, they was telling you it was growing pains. Mm-hmm. And you like, no, this hurts, hurts. This is not no mm-hmm. growing pain. This this really hurts. So, but I, I do think um, getting this information out, letting more people know that you have a right to advocate for yourself will really right. help a lot of people get past those humps. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, you know, one final thing I want to mention that, you know, there are, there are some great physicians. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some great doctors um, that, that do an excellent job of taking care of sickle cell patients. Um, one sad fact about um, Tallahassee is that there are no pediatric hematologists in this city. Wow. Um, there are no, there are no, um, there are no sickle cell doctors for children in Tallahassee. The closest pediatric um, programs for sickle cell patients are in Jacksonville, Florida, or Gainesville, Florida. And so, you know, that's another you know barrier that creates a lot of issues um, and stress for parents. Is that you know if my child does go into a crisis, the only thing I can do is get them to a local emergency room until they can be life flighted to Gainesville or Jacksonville, yeah. put on an ambulance. And so that's another thing that, like I said, adds that barrier of stress and you know, preparing ahead of time, preparing when people feel good uh, will help them in those times where people are feeling bad. Um, right. But, you know, an emergency room physician there, I think a part of their role is to slow things down, to slow the process down um, so they can get a look at the full picture. Um, but that can be, you know, that kind of goes, you know, that's counterintuitive to a you know, person with sickle cells thinking they want things fast. fast. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's and like I said, that that information, um, you know, being communication from their hematologist uh, works great. Um, but there, there are some great there are some great doctors bet, yeah. um, out there that 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 understand yeah. um, the, the path of sickle cell patients and, and want to do their best to help. So that's right. what the foundation's for. Um, yes. You know, people like me and Chris and helping those use their voice when they're afraid to, because there are some that are afraid to. I, at one point, I was afraid to ask questions. I felt like I couldn't ask the doctors questions, you know. Um, but until I had to get in my mind that I could read the same books they can, I can go to that library exactly. and study what they're doing. There's no way, you know, I'm going to allow them to know more about me than me. <laughs> but what so you I just always, said is powerful. Yes, right. seriously. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I teach my children to ask questions because it opens up a deeper dialogue. Get in depth. Just ask. Ask questions away. There's nothing wrong with that. Just ask them. And I and I hope that that encourages, you know, at least a few to take on change openly when it comes to their health and wellness. Because I believe in order to help maintain wellness, especially in the sickle cell community, one has to understand the pathologies that are approach a person's dis-ease of the mind, body, and spirit. Yes. Because like what Chris said, we're not working with, we're working with genetics right. and our connection to nature and to earth and our environment, Everything. our relationships with everybody, and really our relationship with ourselves. So that's go. important. There you go. So I do want to do ask this question. How was sickle cell detected in the body? You said, how is it detected? Yes. So um, there's there. So we, for instance, we do um, a rapid test where we can take a lancet, um, poke the tip of your finger, um, draw a little bit of the blood, and drop it in this uh, a, a solution that will tell us whether or not there's a presence of um, a sickle cells. Um, and that's you know that's usually a, just a rapid test. It doesn't you know single out disease or trait. Doesn't tell you what type of um, trait you have, it, it just right. te- detects the presence of um, hemoglobin S cells in the blood. Yes. Um, I tell everybody that we we sit, we'll sit down and we, when, wherever we do those um, tests at health fairs and things like that, I tell everybody that I come in contact with, this is just, this is not a lab setting. This is not, you know, we're right. just, we're, mm-hmm. we're out here in the elements doing this um, to 100% rule anything out and to confirm anything you need to have what's called a hemoglobin electrophoresis test. And so that's okay. um, that's a blood draw. They run it through a lab and that will tell you um, 
every single trait known to man and whether or not you have it. And so that, that screens for everything. And then that's something that you can, um, and whenever you're doing blood work, you can ask your, um, you can ask your, your, your primary care physician or somebody to order it. And that, but that's, if I, I tell people, if you're, if you're going to have a family one day, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, if that's a choice that you're going to make, um, then, then have that test done. Uh, it, you know, it's easy to, to know what you're getting into. Um, you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of advancement um, with medicine. There's a lot of, uh, you know, doctors are learning more about sickle cell disease. Patients are learning more about sickle cell disease. So, you know, the life expectancy now is about 50, 55 years of years of age, but we've got clients that are in their sixties and seventies and one wow. approaching 80 um, here in, in our community um, and in Gadsden County. So there's, so, it, you know, and these are individuals, like I said, they know their body, they're self-aware, um, they, they exercise, they drink water um, and walk every single day. And so, like I said, it's, it is, it's not unheard of for um, sickle cell patients to get 70, 80, 90 years old nowadays. Um, yes. So, but, but a hemoglobin electrophoresis test um, is a blood draw in a lab setting and it'll tell you whether or not you have whatever trait you have um, and you know what type of disease you have, um, what makes up your your hemoglobin, your sickle cell disease, and all of that. Okay, so hemoglobin electrophoresis test. Yep, long. Yeah, it's a long, <laughs> long name. Hemoglobin electrophoresis. Good job, yeah. though. That's a good. What? Well, yeah. well, <laughs> it it reminds me, like I say, because it, it, it's it's kind of parallel to to what we do in HIV because we do we also do hiv rapid test that could hey there may be an antibody present but you have to come in and get the nucleo the nuclear mm -hmm. acid amplification test right mm -hmm. and as our fourth or fifth generation to really tell where you are and so i can see the crossover i can see the similarities yeah, in it okay okay so question how long does that test take the rapid you get it back instantly in 15 minutes the rapid for, test yeah for hours or, or for yours yeah, yeah. And so that is about five to six minutes actually on the spot oh, okay. to tell you. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's an interesting process. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it is, you know, we drop it in this specialized chemical science -y solution that I don't know much about um, because I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a social worker and a clinical um, clinical social worker. But it but it, it will tell us whether or not there's a presence of, of S trait cells um, in, 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 si in six minutes, six minutes or less. So that's not bad. Um, yeah, right. it, yeah, it's yeah. Quick, like I said, just a poke of the finger, and it's and it, it's it, it'll tell you whether or not if you know if it, if it comes back positive. Like I said, my thing is always go have your doctor do some more tests and confirm, deny, or whatever. Gotcha, so. gotcha. Um, so how does the Sickle Cell Foundation? What are some of the initiatives and things that you have at the Sickle Cell Foundation to get out in the community? to help educate people about sickle cell and actually make sure they're taking their health more serious and looking at that. Yeah, so um, a, a lot of, you know, so our, our program is twofold. There's two parts to our program. Um, one is the direct services to the individuals and families that live with sickle cell disease and sickle cell traits. So that's um, that's financial assistance, that's travel assistance. And like I mentioned, there are no local pediatric hematologists. So a lot of these families are constantly driving to Jacksonville and back, or to Gainesville and back, for these checkups um, and, and you know follow-up appointments. So we step in and we help out with that. We you know provide gas cards. Um, if if let's just say if some if a parent had to miss work because their child was hospitalized, um, we can step in and help out with a utility bill. Uh, we can step out and help out for rent or housing things like that. Um, I tell our clients that anything our our job is to help. So any. Anything that you need, anything at all, if it's anything, you come to us and you let us know. Our job is to either do it in our office or find somebody in the community to do it. Um, so that's that's the direct services. And then there's the outreach portion where we're we're doing workshops, we're doing presentations, we're doing screenings, um, we're we're attending other people's events, and we're doing anything and everything we can to get the word out. And Carissa does an excellent job on our social media mm -hmm. side, making sure. Um, that all of our all of our social media um, initiatives are up to date and out there in the community. She's she's a um, very talented um, so social media presence, holding down to digital design and things like that. Um, so she's helping us get the word out cool. on that end as well. So, okay, no, I I appreciate that because, um, like I say, 
when we're out in the community and we're in the trenches, you are mm-hmm. always there. <laughs> You're always there. And and it's not something that, that just started. We're talking years. I've been I've been in HIV AIDS prevention for about 12 years. And I don't know exactly when you started, but I feel like I've been seeing you the whole time. Yeah, le- yeah, it's been about 11, 12, 11 yes. to 12 years that I've <laughs> that I've been at it here. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, so, yeah, I remember. And so remember that's that's the that's the that's the great things about this is using this platform to um, let the community know about people like yourselves who are really out here fighting for our, for our people, fighting for our community and making sure mm-hmm. that people have the resources they need to improve themselves, to help themselves. Um, Tallahassee has done a great job of being resourceful. People want food, they can find food. People want medical care, they can find medical care. People want this, they this. It's a lot of things that are free and accessible in Tallahassee. And you guys have made yourselves a part of that group of, of uh, people whose um, resources are free and accessible and all these different things. And people, people can find you and you come to the people as well. So my hat's off to you and everything you guys have been doing. We definitely appreciate how you've served the Tallahassee community. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So before we, before we close this down, um, and start with you, Carissa. Can you give our, our listeners some content information? Hey, CNBC, Oprah, somebody may see this. And they say, I want to interview them. How do people get in contact with you? Um, you guys can get in contact with us. Um, we are on social media, Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram is Sickle Cell Leon. Um, and then on Facebook, it's Sickle Cell Foundation. Um, and also we are in office, you know, we are there Monday through Thursday, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, <laughs> um, 850-222-2355 is our office number. Um, we do take walk-in, uh, sickle cell trait testing. Um, also we're always constantly now our online presence is growing. So we're, we're keeping it up to date now where when we're on events or doing events, we share that so that. The community knows where we are every week, um, where they can meet us at to to come and see us. Also volunteering as well. Um, With me being over the community health fairs, we're building our volunteer team. That way we can have these advocates, have have us involved, those involved to go out and send these teams out to cover these events and get the awareness out, get people tested um, because it's so important. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if I missed gotcha. anything, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, that covers it. Um, like she, like Carissa said, um, you can walk into our office and get screened absolutely free of charge. Um, the only thing I need from you is a drop of blood from your finger, and that's it. Um, and so, at, you know, it, it just anytime we're off of North Monroe, just past I-10, um, going towards Lake Jackson, but I, you know. Our website, sicklecellfoundation.org. Um, you can find all the information there. Like I said, if you just want to walk in, you ask some questions about sickle cell trait, Monday through Thursday, somebody is here. Um, oh and, you know, <laughs> I, I, I you know, wouldn't mind sitting down having a conversation with you about trait, getting you screened, and um, and, and anything you, that you need help with. That's, that's what our job is. That's what we're paid for. So, cool. Uh, I mean, Excellent. You two, you two do an excellent job. Um, you gave excellent information. Um, people definitely learn a lot with this. Um, I, I just appreciate people who have the passion and and they're real about helping people, not just here for the photo ops and things. Mm-hmm. And so, because that, that really helps our community progress rather than just look like we progressing. So, right. definitely, it doesn't feel like a job. It, yeah, and that's the best thing. That's the best thing. Right. And we're hoping to shift me and Chris, you know, I'm I'm so thankful. And I tell them, I'm so thankful that I can go from parenting to truly in this work, take my gifts and share it with others. Right. And we're hoping we shift and bring in a lot of things when it comes to more holistic health, mental health awareness, because that's a huge thing. And also those in the LGBTQIA community that have sickle cell. Because often already they are battling a lot of the um, racial justice mistreatment, the public health mistreatment already enough. And I know that 
they're out there also some with sickle cell and they need to feel like they have a safe zone to come to and get help with us. So they are safe with us. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's good. That's good. See, this is why we do this. This is why we do this. And this is why I, I always tell people, get out in the community and meet people. You go somewhere, yes. you don't have to have the, you don't need no line. Just say, hey, my name is and put your hand yep. out. And then that's why you get connections like this, because you guys, somebody's going to see this and, and this is going to really help somebody because it's going to give them information they may or may not have had. So we appreciate that. Mind your body and soul. No problem. This is mind your body and soul. He's Matias Sweet. I'm Joseph Ward. And remember, we're an educational podcast that focuses on all things health related to help our listeners learn more about the various health topics and information they may or may not have access to. We seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to become the healthiest versions of themselves. Remember, every weekend, I mean, excuse me, every Wednesday, every <laughs> Wednesday, www.nmcpodcast.com, uh, neighborhoodmedicalcenter.org. Subscribe to this YouTube channel, Neighborhood Medical Center. Subscribe, subscribe. We're on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well, medical, Neighborhood Medical Center. You can also listen to us on Anchor Breaker Radio Public. Uh, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms out there. So he's Mr. Christopher Wells, Miss Chris, Miss Carissa Hunter, Sickle Cell Foundation. He's Matias. I'm Joseph. We are out of here. Y'all make sure y'all be healthy and be safe. Peace out.